I'm reading John 14, 1 to 14. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to him myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No, comes, no one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than this will he do because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. This is me. <laughs> I've had to uh, kind of explain that to some people because a lot of people have never seen me hairless. Is that a, that's a brand, it's a breed of dog, clean shaven, okay. So I guess that's more politically correct. Hairless is a dog or something, isn't it? Anyway, including uh, myself, I actually haven't for 20, 24 years or something like that. So it's good to be here this morning and to be given a, a very powerful passage in which to, to speak from especially in a world that kind of honors the idea of the inclusive. We're inclusive, we're inclusive. We hear that all the time. And yet this passage, Jesus says a very exclusive statement that's really difficult for our society and our world today to digest, let's put it that way. So we're going to try and delve into that a little bit this morning as we look at this passage. But before we begin, let's just go to God in prayer. Thank you, Father, for the beginnings of a new day, the beginnings of a new season, and hopefully, as we come to you, the beginning of new spiritual life. Each day is an opportunity to renew ourselves with you in our relationship with you. So, Father, we just ask for your direction this morning through your Holy Spirit, the gift whom you gave to us, that we might understand your word, but more than just understanding, we might be 
enlightened and directed by your word. If you can use this poor servant this morning, Lord, speak to these people who have gathered, open each heart to you and your truth. And we thank you. We thank you for the gift of Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life for us. We ask these things in his name. Amen. Now, I know you're in the midst of a, ser- a series of sermons about I am. I'm not sure all the ones that you've covered so far, so I'm going to give you a little test this morning to see who's been paying attention to Kurt the last three Sundays, has it been? Does even Kurt remember? <laughs> How many Who have you? Who has Jesus said I am so far in this series? I am what? Is there people out there? I'm not hearing anything. <laughs> Good shepherd, okay? I am the good shepherd. I am the door. I am the truth. That's, that's today. We're going to get to that one today. The past few weeks, anything else? Those, those two? The bread of life. Okay, I thought there were at least three. When I look at this series, and especially the Gospel of John, and all the times that Jesus says in the Gospel of John... I am, I am, I am. It makes me think back in the Old Testament to when God spoke to Moses and told him, I want you to go down to Egypt. And, G- and Moses had the audacity to kind of question God and said, well, who, who should I tell these people have sent me? And God said, I am has sent me, has sent you. The great I am. I am who I am. Now that's a statement that's saying that so much and really the reality of the reality of the real things of life is found only in one place, and that's in God, our creator. And that is an exclusive statement, not an inclusive statement. We come as Christians this morning with a basic belief that the foundation and the rock of our existence is our relationship with the God who created us. And if we don't have a relationship with the God who created us, we're a, a little bit adrift in this life because we were created different from the rest of creation, including the animals, to have the ability with our spirit to connect to the spirit who created us, God. That's how I'm different from the animals in the zoo and from the pet that you can, you know, turn into your, your child and you can love dearly and all that. But I and you were created to be in relationship with God. And this passage that we have here this morning where Jesus makes this very powerful statement especially when we understand the meaning of the words that he used, way, truth, and life, and that no one comes to the Father but by him, is saying that the relationship that we want to have with our Creator comes through the person of Christ, the divine who became man, Jesus, and in a relationship with him, we have a relationship with God. It's not just knowing facts about a person. It's not just understanding some things about their life. It's 
really encouraging us, instructing us, and insisting that we enter into a relationship with Jesus. Now, the difficult thing about that is we have never personally sat down like the clips in that, little, in that video there. We've never sat down physically with the person of Jesus and communicated with him. And most of us, when we think of relationship, we think of a one-on-one contact with another physical human being, and that's how we develop relationship. So we're at a tiny bit of a disadvantage in that we physically can't do that. But scripture kind of encourages us, and when Jesus tells his disciples here that we can do the same things that he does and even greater things, it's because all of our relationship is done through a word called faith. And because of that, it's an even deeper and more significant thing than a physical relationship. Because it's all done through faith and trust in the unseen. And Hebrews, it tells us, if we want to please God, it's impossible to please him without faith. So we're challenging you this morning because we're looking at Jesus' words and we're talking about the relationship we have with him and we're talking about three things that a relationship with Christ should give us this morning. The first one, it says, I am the way. The way, a relationship with with God through Jesus that will direct our steps, that will give us direction in life. Now, I had a picture, it's coming up here now, about road signs. Now, I find that a lot of people think of life or see life kind of like this. When you walk up to this sign, it might be a little overwhelming. It might be a little confusing. And I think a lot of people, when they They approach the decisions of which way to go in their life. That's how they feel sometimes, overwhelmed and confused. Now, when I was much younger, actually not that much younger, GPS was unheard of, okay? There was no such thing as GPS. Now, I I entitled this sermon, How's Your JPS Working? Because I want to know how your position in Christ is, not where you are in the globe, GPS, global positioning, But where is your position in Christ? Where is your relationship in Christ? But in thinking about the GPS, the global positioning, I've had a couple of experiences with GPS that, we'll say, were not the most positive, and maybe some of you have had too. I've talked to people who wound up in a cow pasture one time because their GPS directed them there to a road that had not made it into the system yet. So they took them out into the middle of a field. My vehicle was made in uh, the United States somewhere, and the GPS was set up uh, so that everything was taken through the United States. So the first time I put in my GPS, I wanted to go to visit our daughter and son-in-law in in, uh, Cochrane, Alberta. It took me from Chilliwack all the way down into the state of Washington, all the way over and across and up through Alberta, by way of a different highway, and instead of a 10-hour, 9- or 10-hour drive, according to GPS, it was going to take me about 24 hours to get there. So I thought, "Mm, maybe this isn't the most, you know, accurate way to get someplace. But when your GPS system, you put something in, and you divert a little bit from what it tells you, what happens? What does the little voice say? Recalculating. 
recalculating. Well, I want you to think about your life to this point, and I see we have a few young people and a few not-so-young people and a lot of other people in between. But somewhere in your life so far, I'm sure there's been times when you thought, this is where I'm going next. This is where my life is heading. I've got things kind of all planned out. I didn't even necessarily include God in the plans or anybody else. I know what I'm doing. And what happens? Something takes you off of that course. And what do you have to do? Recalculating. Recalculating. Now, I want you to think about that in a spiritual sense. I don't know what you thought when you were a little child about God, but most little children have a, have a great, like, pure faith in God. Nothing's corrupted it yet. They believe when you tell them God is in control and God can do everything, they pretty much believe that. I know a lady who had a little girl, and maybe I told you this story once before. I think I might have, but it's, it's worth telling again. She went up to the gumball machine that had like 15 different colors of gumballs in it. And she had her little penny or dime or whatever it was, and she told her mom, she said, I want a red one. And her mom says, well, you know, you can't, you can't pick what color you get. You get whatever it gives you when you turn the knob. So she said, come, come in from Sunday school, she said, well, I'll pray. I'll ask God to give me a red one. So she bowed her head, said a little prayer, God, I want a red gumball. Now her mom's already thinking, how am I going to explain to her when she gets a green one that God doesn't always answer prayers the way we want, blah, blah, blah. She's thinking all this as the little girl puts the dime in, turns the knob, opens the lid, and she has a red gumball. And she thanks God for it. And the mom is going, wow. But that's how children sometimes think. They trust. They believe. We, unfortunately, don't always believe. And we, unfortunately, don't always trust that God is going to direct our steps. We don't always believe that the things he will do will lead us in the path we want to go. And so we sometimes recalculate wrongly. But here's what I want to suggest to you this morning. The relationship with Christ is the best way to keep on course and to have the recalculations move us in the right direction. Now, when you want to go somewhere, sometimes maybe you're going to visit a friend or a relative and they give you oral instructions over the phone. How do you like that? Most people struggle with that. Because the people on the phone, they, you know, they think they're giving you the most clear directions. You know, go down the road till you get to the big bear that looks like a rock, and you turn right. And you go drive down till you see the big rock that looks like a bear, and you turn left. And it's like, they think it's crystal clear. And you hang up the phone, and your first question is, where am I going? Or maybe you like the written directions. With the little, I always like it with the little illustrations. And here's X is where you're starting, and here's Y where you're finishing, and there's the railroad tracks, and here's the turns. And usually, this is the way most people do it, a five-mile stretch is a quarter of an inch, and a quarter-mile stretch is five inches, and so that's all whacked up. And so following the written directions are bad. Or maybe you like your GPS, or maybe, maybe you know what a map, any of you know what a map is? Okay, a map, sometimes you like to draw it out on the map, but how about if the person who lives where you're going is sitting beside you. 
and they say, okay, up here, turn right, turn left. How about if the person who's directing you actually has been where you're going? Isn't that a good, kind of a good way to get there? Jesus, in our relationship, is saying to you, I know how to get you where you want to go. And the little discussion that was in this passage that Lucy read so well, Thomas says, well, we don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? And blah, blah, blah. He says, I am the way. I am the way. I am the one who will walk with you, ride with you, and through the Holy Spirit be with you through every little diversion that might throw you off course and will help you recalculate back on the right course to get you where you need to go in this life. And that's not just talking about physical movement, but that's talking about the spiritual connection with God. Remember, that's what we're talking about. A relationship with God that anchors our life. How to keep that relationship right and wind up with God in the end. And Jesus is the way. And it's through relationship with him. It's through conversation with him, through intimacy with him, that that peace that comes with direction guides us. I think the author of Proverbs said it very well in the Old Testament. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. That's faith, folks. Lean not on your own understanding. That's faith. Because we always want to do what we want to do and taking someone else's direction is difficult. Now the second thing here is the truth. He says, I am the truth. A relationship that will settle our minds. I had a unique opportunity a couple weeks ago, one I haven't had for quite a while, to be sitting at a table engaging with conversation with about 12 other people, but I was at the end of the table with three teenagers. Uh, Two grade 11 students and a, a grade 8 student. So two that are going into their grade 12 year, one that's getting ready to take the step up to high school. And these are bright kids, and they're good kids. They were nice kids. They probably would hate it if they heard me call them kids, actually, because two of them, were at, they were adults. Anyway, I got involved in this conversation with them in which they were in a really, it was a deep, they were dealing with deep stuff about creation and evolution and and meaning of life and and it's like it wasn't the best it wasn't the best uh we're in a restaurant so there was a lot of noise and stuff going on and i'm half deaf anymore so it was hard to tune in on everything they said but one of them obviously had grown up in a christian home and the other two not and it was interesting for me to see the confidence in having a direction for the life that the Christian person had over the two that didn't. And I I had to think back to when I was young, when I grew up, in the way I grew up, everybody went to church. This, I would say 90% of the people I knew or more said, this is truth. This is a book of truth. They, They believed in a heaven and a hell. They believed in a future or eternity. And they had a foundation for their 
soul and their spirit to live. And what I could see in this conversation with these young people is how uncertain they were about where they came from, why they existed, and everything was a bit nebulous, just kind of like, you know, morals and values. I mean, they had pretty good morals and values, but there was no assurance that they were going to keep those because they had, they didn't have a foundation. Now, the word that is used here for truth is really the idea of something being revealed and uncovered, something that's being put out there for everybody to see. And Jesus is saying that he is the truth. He is the revelation of God that gives us something firm to build our lives around. And without that, the struggle to find truth in this world is hard. It's very difficult in our world to find truth. I have a little cartoon up here. I don't know if it's already been on the screen or not. Not yet. You're not there yet. But this little cartoon is kind of a reflection of how the truth is looked upon in our world today. It's not, it's not a surety. Truth is very subjective to a lot of people. And the struggle to find truth is very very real, to deal with deception. Now, who does the Bible say is the deceiver? Satan, our enemy. Now, of course, you've got to believe that there is a spiritual force out there called Satan to actually accept that, but the scripture tells us he cannot tell the truth. He can only tell half-truths. And the scripture also tells us that God cannot lie. But in a world where truth is subjective, how can you believe anything? Pilate, when confronted with Jesus, said this very clearly when he said, what is truth, as he scratched his head? What is truth? And for us in this world to find truth is a struggle for a lot of people, especially if they don't have a foundation, I think, spiritually, in Christ. Now, I came across a term in doing some research where a guy was doing a TED Talk. How many of you are familiar with TED Talks? Okay. And his theme was, we live in a post-truth world. Now, as soon as I read that, I was like, holy baloney. A post-truth world. I'd heard of post-Christian world, and I think that's pretty evident by the numbers, numbers of people who do not have faith anymore. But a post-truth world in which he dealt with a, que- a, a term called deception confirmation, where people tend to believe anything if it backs up what they already think. So this is the reason fake news and the whole, uh, they're called trolls or something, where they, people on computers sit in rooms and spew out lies to try and deceive people. I mean, this is happening in our world, people. There's, there are places set up for people to, to spew false information over the Internet for people to use as illustrations and whatever 
and it's basically false information. And they're counting on us and the people in the world to have confirmation bias, where we, we basically are looking on Facebook, oh, somebody posted something, oh boy, I agree with what they just said, so I'll repost it. And it may be fabricated, it may be false. And I think this is happening on all sides of issues, not just the conservatives or the liberals or whatever, it's on all sides of issues, so much so that we, in thinking about truth, we wonder, are we talking about Trudeau's truth or Trump's truth or CNN's truth or, or Fox News truth or whose truth are we basing our life on? And so that makes it so critical what Jesus said. He said, I am the truth. So we've got to come back to an anchor that in spite of what all is going on all around us, we have something that we know in our hearts and in our minds is absolute. And it's true. Otherwise, we're swayed and dissuaded by lies and deception. Now, I also had a... I got, I'm not sure of the sync on these slides right now, but how many of you have ever heard of Bell Gibson and the whole pantry? Bell Gibson came out a couple of years ago, said she had cancer and really a, a, you know, a terrible diagnosis and multiple cancer pathologies in her organs, and she was going to for, forego any medical treatment, and she was only going to eat healthy foods and diet and exercise, and then she claimed, next thing she knows, she claimed she was healed, and then she claimed that she was donating her persons or her income to charities and all these things, and it was discovered that she was scamming the whole time on the Internet. She had never had cancer but so many people bought her book that she became a millionaire. So many people started going to her seminars and all these things. Why? Because they had had experiences with cancer in their life, and they wanted, to, they wanted to know there was a hopeful cure out there that didn't involve chemotherapy and losing your hair and all those things. So people flocked to her. But it was a deception, all for gain. Now, how, how does that affect us? These things affect us because it makes us skeptical. It makes us skeptical of people and what they say. But as Christians, we need truth. We need to believe with all of our hearts that something is real and truthful and we can base our life on it. And that's why I said at the very beginning, what we're struggling with here is a struggle of faith. Struggle of faith that we will trust our lives to follow Jesus, the way, to trust him, to believe him, so that we have a, a confidence in our mind that gives us assurance that we're on the right road. That's why worship, that's why prayer, that's why studying God's word are all critical, because these bolster our faith when we have people that we share faith with and we share the struggles and we share the questions and we know we're not alone, especially when we go through troubles and trials, it's good to know that we have truth that we're basing our life on and others are walking the same path. And it's a challenge because in the world we live in right now, these 
are unpopular things to do. It's unpopular. That's why half the chairs are empty this morning. It's why it's hard to get people to come on Easter Sunday when you, on Outreach Sunday. People have written church off as being obsolete. It's not true anymore. How can something that was once true not be true? Because deception has risen to the point that we don't trust that this is truth anymore. And if you stand on that, you will not always be accepted and you will not always be popular. But I'm challenging you today as a body and as individuals to realize the anchor that that gives you that so many people do not have and why they're so easily confused. Scripture also says, also says God is not the author of deception. God is not the author of deception and not the author of confusion, excuse me, but they go together. God is not the author of confusion, but many people are confused. And that's why your faith and your ability to live out your faith is such a great witness. And that brings us to the last point of this message. A relationship that fills our hearts that fills not just the inside of us, but the outside of us as well. The word that's used for life here, interestingly enough, in, this, in the Greek language, there's three words for, for love. There's also three words that are used for life. The one we're most f- familiar with would be bio, like biology and biosphere. But the word that's used here and all throughout the book of John, especially 33 times in the book of John, is the word zoe. And it has to do with a spiritual life, a divine life, a life outside of just living physically. Because you know you can live physically and be dying inside, right? Many people are. So this is a deeper word for life that that Jesus uses. Now, we, I say Nora and I, we do watch, it's a guilty pleasure, I guess, we watch some reality TV shows, okay? And, of course, some reality TV shows are not real, okay? So that's a contradiction right there. But some reality shows that we like to watch, in particular, are we like to watch Ninja Warrior, okay? I know, I know, it's maybe because I want to be one and I can't, Okay? But we watch Ninja Warrior, and we watch a couple of these other shows, and it's amazing when they tell you the backstories on these people. That's the part we like, because we sit there and we cry, because all these people have a, they have a story, and they tell about loss and heartbreak and blah, blah, blah. But what's so often said by these people, and not on these shows only, but many other shows, if you watch The Voice or one of those shows, and they interview the people, this statement comes out. My daughter... Let's say, uh, Millie is my life. You'll have somebody saying, you know, I'm going to go out here and I'm going to compete, but it's all, it's all for Millie because she's my life. Or it may be their mother. She's my life. She's my everything. She means the world to me. Have you heard people say that? They mean the world to me. They are my life. I don't know what I'd do without them. Those are very strong words to say about a relationship with another person because 
in this world, you could lose that other person very easily. And then what happens to your life? So when we say that Jesus is our life, and Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he's saying that in him, that in a relationship with him, we'll find the greatest needs of our heart. That in the relationship with Christ, we will have unconditional love, and we will have a sense of purpose for living in relationship with Christ. And even though, again, it's by faith, that's the kind of relationship that Jesus wants us to have for what reason? So that we will be incorporated into all, he will be incorporated into all that we do. In Philippians 4, four and fo- verse 4 and following, says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Don't be anxious. Don't be worried. But in everything, make Christ a part of every area of your life. Don't make Jesus just a Sunday thing. Don't make him just a part of your religious life. Make him a part of your life. Let him be your guide and your truth in how to deal with other people, how to deal with your children, how to deal with your parents, how to deal with your husband or your wife, how to deal with your work, how to deal with your, you know, the, your, the way you drive. How, how, do, how do you let Jesus lead you and be your life by putting him into your life? Not just putting him in, allowing him in because he wants in. You already heard, he's the door. He stands at the door and knocks. What does he do? He wants to come in to your whole life, not just a part of your life. And when you say, well, I don't really feel the same way about Jesus that I feel about my wife or my kids. He's not really my life. I mean, like, I wouldn't stand on Ninja Warrior and say, Jesus is, is my everything. He's my world. Why not? As a Christian, he should be right there at the top because that will give you a better relationship with the other parts of your life who also are your world, your children, your parents, your husband, your wife. Because he teaches us how to love. He teaches us how to live. So making Jesus our life is an incorporation process. Jesus once said in John 17, 3, this is, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That in relationship, by knowing him through faith, he is our life. Paul also said in Colossians, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. When Christ, who is your life, he is the spiritual, divine life that you live. He may not be your physical life, but he is your divine life. He is your eternal connection 
And we, we can't really, as Christians, know the way, be assured of the truth, or really live without a relationship with him. So the challenge this morning is how do we establish and confirm and keep living a relationship with Christ that will be our guide, our peace of mind and heart that we need. Let's pray together. Thank you, Christ, for your presence here this morning. Thank you for your sacrifice that proved who you were and assured your position as the truth. We pray, Father, in this difficult, convoluted world that the assurance of faith will be ours, each and every one, so that we can walk by faith today. And as we renew our commitment to you through the Lord's Supper, we pray that we will not only acknowledge it mentally, but that we will spiritually feel your presence in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.